there and welcome to Thatch and Earth, your guide to conservation-focused travel. I'm Lawrence. And I am Phoebe. And today we're chatting to Steve Falconridge. So for those of you who don't know, Steve is an absolutely incredible human. Lawrence and I first met him about five years ago when we trained to be safari guides, bush guides, when we trained to be field guides. And Steve just opened up a whole world for us. He really was a mentor for both of us. And, and still is. And still is. And just showed us how the bush is not just the big five. It's not just big animals. There is so much more to it. He is an awesome person. He is currently a guide on Safari Live, which if you haven't watched it, go to YouTube right now and type in Safari Live. It is fantastic. Even as bush people, we still watch it. We absolutely love it. And it's a way to connect with the bush from just from your laptop. You don't have to be in Southern Africa. You can be anywhere and you can watch this. It's educational. It's fascinating. It's super interesting. It's perfect for all ages. And we love it. So you definitely will too. And on the plus side, it's free. And it's free, which is amazing. It's a lot cheaper than going in the bush, especially right now when we're all stuck at home and we can't even go to the bush. So that's great. So without further ado, here is Steve. Hi, thanks for being. Welcome. Do you want to kick things off with just a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to everyone? Yes. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, nice to be on the show and lovely to see you two again. It's been many years. Um, so just a bit of background about myself, just to jump back into history. I did a conservation diploma um, which is very practical orientated down in Sarsfeld University down in the Southern Cape. Um, that saw me uh, getting up close and personal and practical in the Kruger National Park and the Timavati, which is pretty much the places you want to go when it comes to working in conservation in South Africa. And so I found myself very, very busy in the bush, very busy with the practical side, very busy learning about the conservation, about the ecology, getting my hands dirty, all of those things that come with it. And there was no guiding initially. It was all about uh, the wilderness and uh, no people. And if you have ever guided before in your life, as you two have learned to do a little bit over the years, you'll realize that conservation comes with wanting to be with animals and guiding comes with showing people animals. And there's a big difference between the two. Uh, many people I've met in the past want to be with animals. They want to just animal, animal, animal. And I say, okay, so why do you want to guide? And they, they can't really answer that question. But um, guiding is something that came up over the years. You know, it kind of became the way of, of making money, I suppose, to stay in the wilderness. And um, through conservation, through guiding, through a company called Singita, which is probably quite big up there. Most people who've, who've thought about going to the top of the places in the world, Singita would have come up on their probably out of budget list. But a really, really nice place to visit. And uh, they trained me up as a conservationist or I'd share my conservation work with them. And then they trained me to be a guide. So I got trained by the best, um, with the best. And I was very privileged to have gone along that route. A gentleman by the name of Alan Yarrett was involved with my level two and my trails guide. And I had to walk in the wilderness and eventually start guiding people in probably one of the pearls of, of the Kruger national park. And that was, that was life changing. But as you say, as I said before, guiding comes with people. And I was far more interested at the time in the actual conservation of things. So after doing a few years of guiding, I decided it was time to jump back into studies. And that saw me doing an honors in conservation, uh, which had funding from um, Green Campus Initiative, from funding from sort of uh, conservation initiatives within the university, which put me into sort of a very uh, off-the-topic subjects of, of worm farming, which I'm sure we'll come back to at some point along the line. But worm farming is a very sustainable way of, of living, and it's definitely something we'll touch on a little bit later. Um, but I saw myself doing some projects on worm farming in conservation, which was quite interesting. Uh, it led me to do a master's, in fact, on the sustainable propagation and cultivation of, of medicinal plants in South Africa, and that had a huge focus on earthworms. Um, and uh, earthworms, as you'll probably notice shortly, a little bit later, have become quite a passion in my life, um, as I think they are essential to conservation. So um, everybody in the world knows about worms. Everybody knows about conservation. They might not fully understand what co conservation means or where it is we're going, um, but um, we <laughs> I might be losing my train of thought a little bit now. But um, uh, masters in conservation... 
Um, eventually, um, I finished that. If you've ever done a thesis, you know it takes a fair amount of thinking, a fair amount of sitting with your bottom in a chair, and an enormous amount of reading. And um, I found myself needing to get a bit more spiritually enlightened. I went and I did uh, some meditation courses. Uh, meditation courses saw me in silence and stillness for, for over 10 days, um, whereby I reconnected with myself and with the wilderness. And I knew the wilderness was not finished. I knew I wasn't done with the wilderness. I know my conservation degrees had pushed me in that sort of direction, but I knew I had to go back to the bush. And out of nowhere, um, I got a call from a, what do you call them, recruitment agent offering me to, to run a walking trail in what is actually the Pearl of the Kruger Park, the Pufuri concession in the north of the Kruger. So I found myself working, or should I say walking, I wouldn't really have called it a job because it was an absolute passion. Uh, I would have done it barefoot if it wasn't so uncomfortable to be barefoot, but it was for me a most life-changing experience. It showed me how to really connect where there's birds calling, there's tracks of dangerous animals, there's trees, there's no infrastructure, there's no people anywhere. Um, very, very, very connecting, very earthing, very grounding. I saw in my, my own experiences, I saw people's lives change. I saw people who had come to the bush for one of the first times maybe, or maybe the 10th time. I saw people who'd been out many times in the bush and had never truly had that experience because we, we feel in the wilderness, we always have to explain things. Things always have to have to label. They have to be there needs to be a point behind it all, and there doesn't actually. Um, just sitting on a rock, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there, breathe, and we'll talk about it later. Um, I've seen some profound changes in people's lives. Uh, you don't have to be a spiritual person to understand it. You don't have to be a religious person to understand it. You don't have to go and meditate and be a Zen Buddhist monk to understand it. Everybody will feel it. Um, there's a very common saying of people who come to Africa who say, when I go to Africa, it's be, I've been bitten. The bug has bitten me. And everyone I've met, many foreigners say the same thing in a very different way. Uh, and they come from very different backgrounds, very different walks of life. And they all are addicted to it afterwards. And uh, you don't have to go to the big lodges to experience that. You can live in a tent where water's boiled on the fire and you shower once a day, and uh, life is beautiful, you know. So that, for me, was the highlight of my guiding career. I was guiding, I was working. Some people say it was a job. It was only a job because I got paid, but it was a, an experience that I would do again and again. And I know the two of you have been to Bafuri. I know mm -hmm. the two of you have we walked have. there. It is a pristine wilderness area. And, spectacular. Uh, yeah. And only when you sit down and try experience the silence do you realize how loud the bush is, how many noises there are, how it speaks, mm -hmm. how it exactly. connects you. And it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. There's no way I can say you're going to feel this or you're going to feel that. And, and it's also very hard for you to put into words how that can connect you. And you don't actually need to see anything. You don't need to see an elephant. You don't need to see a lion. Just seeing the feeding signs of an elephant or or hearing a branch breaking in the distance, or, or smelling some buffalo dung, puts you into the moment of this natural human sort of connectedness to Africa, where we, we, we understand the, the origin of where we come from, and we understand that feeling of, of potential danger. And that brings you into the moment. And I know for a fact through many, many guest experience and feedback that through those experiences, people have not been able to... Um, uh, what's the word? Think about where they're going tomorrow or tax or are their kids okay or is their car insurance right? They don't think about that. They just connect to the experience and afterwards it's a very profound connection to living in the moment, which our forebearers used to do and animals today do every single time. Well, all, the, all the time. They're constantly just breathing and living right now. And um, I think that's where the connectivity comes in. But I Definitely. probably digress. Slightly. No, I, I, com I completely agree. I think we all went to the bush initially, probably not realizing that we needed something out of it. I personally went to the bush thinking, oh, this is a cool opportunity just to learn about ecology, literally not even knowing that it was a Nyala walking through the camp when everyone else was ignoring it. And I think that connection is something that we generally have lost completely especially when you come from, like I've come from Europe where 
there's very little wildlife left or you've really got to sort of go and find it. And I think you're completely right. It's that just sort of sitting there and realising that you are part of the system when you're in Pafuri, when you smell the buffalo or you see like the branch that's been taken down by the Ellie, that brings you back to sort of what, what you're, I don't know, just like a raw emotion, like a raw feeling that you get from it. And that's something so special and it's something that you can't find anywhere else. And I think that's part of the reason that sort of the bush as a whole becomes so addictive because you then just go searching for that feeling and no matter where else you look and I have been looking in a lot of other places and I can't find it anywhere else and you will try and then shape your life around the bush because that's so addictive that feeling definitely I mean one of, one of the questions I have to also ask you is when it comes to the bush you, you're describing a lot of factors that uh, say a few tourists probably wouldn't necessarily consider as uh, the ultimate form of um, what the bush is and how incredible that experience can be. And it's really nice to hear that. But would you say that finding presence, like you said before, is subjective, but finding presence in the bush would be based around the smaller things and experiencing those smaller things? Or would you say it's around the danger factor of being in the bush? You know, you're exposed to these big and hairy, so to speak, and that kind of brings you into a more sober present state? Or is it a combination of the two? I think it's a combination. I mean, wilderness areas around the world are known for their power, known for their spirituality. You just go get lost in the forest very quickly to realize how connected you can be. But I think the, the focusing on small things can really connect people. It brings their focus into the moment. Uh, it brings their attention to the moment, and it also gives them a much broader understanding of the system. But I think that for many, many people who are quite disconnected, they might not know they're disconnected. They come from a city whereby they block out the sounds every day because it's noisy. Um, they probably don't even notice the traffic sounds anymore. It's just noise. Um, the smells, cities don't smell very good. And generally, people's overall senses are quite dulled down because the cities are so overwhelming. I know when I visit a city, it's overwhelming for me. I have to really go hide away. Otherwise, I get a bit scared because it's just too much going on. When you spend enough time in the bush, you start to open your ears, you start to open your nose and your eyes. And if you have been living in a city for a long time, you go to the bush, don't expect it to be profound on day one or day two. But by day three, with the right guiding and the right mentorship and people giving you those moments of silence, you're going to open up and you're going to feel a connection. Uh, people who go to the bush for two days, it might be a nice thing to do, but you're not going to get that depth. But there's nothing quite eye-opening enough as somebody getting an elephant on foot or a lion on foot. They don't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be this lion's going to eat me story. Um, it can just be here are some very fresh tracks. These long grass over here, these lines are probably three hours ahead of us. That is enough to make someone, um, for better word, for better use of the word, um, get a bit afraid. You know, they suddenly, that brings them into the moment and they suddenly think, okay, well, there's something here that wants to eat me. And immediately survival instinct kicks in and you stop thinking about anything else. And when survival instinct kicks in, just like animals every day, you start breathing differently, you start hearing differently, you start looking around at things. And when you, when you finally realize that you're, you're okay, you're safe, the guide is professional, he's going to look after you, you're not going to die today, then you start to relax and you start to enjoy it. So it can be quite overwhelming for some people. I think that's why I said before with Pufuri, Pufuri is not a place that many people go for the first time. Um, many people go to a lodge where they're on a vehicle base, where they feel safe, they've got a comfort zone. But slowly but surely, people's walls will get broken down because everyone's different. Some people, you can just throw them into the bush, but not everybody. If you're first time on safari, you're not going to go live in a safari tent where lions are going to claw at your zip or elephants are going to walk through the, your camp. Although you are perfectly safe, someone's mindset is, is very, very different from yours as well. Phoebe, the first time you stayed in the tents at eco training, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit daunting. You know? I needed to yeah. go to the loo, walk outside, there's things oh, in the there's camp. an Ellie in the camp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the fear point is actually really, really interesting. So I was in South Luanga, was that last year, the year before? And we were on a game drive. We were literally there for like two days. And um, we were just driving back. It was getting dark. And a hyena 
approach the vehicle. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, fascinating to see hyena close up. But my friend, who is from the States originally, he now lives in Cape Town, was terrified. Absolutely terrified. There was no sign that this hyena was going to do anything. But I think she was so out of her comfort zone that fear just took over. And I think how fear plays a role in your experience in the bush is such a key point because I think it could actually show people they wouldn't expect to be scared of, say, just seeing a lion in the bush, but it sort of triggers like like basic like limbic system emotion that you get. And that sort of starts the connection going again with nature. And I think that's something really powerful. And when people really connect with that, you start to see a lot of change when like the yeah. fear sort of slowly mellows out a little bit. But it really sort a chemical of reconnects response. people. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. There's a chemical response in our system. There's a fight or flight Blood goes cold, our heart starts to race. And I promise you, you're not thinking about what's for dinner or lunch or, <laughs> or what I'm getting married next week or any debt you might be in. All of that's gone immediately. All you want to do is survive. And that's why the guide's role in this is always so important. And if you guys recall, old, um, we won't mention surnames, but old Jake in, uh, in a black rhino sighting in Salati where we had um, – we had a black rhino potentially chase the vehicle at night, which was, which was frightening for everybody concerned. But I think everybody learns a very important lesson in that moment. Regardless of what happens as a guide, um, regardless of what experience it is, it could be lying fast asleep in the grass. It could be a, a very dangerous black rhino charge on the vehicle. Every single time afterwards, you need to gauge guests' experience and reaction and realize that they might feel like they nearly died. They might feel like the last moments of their life were their last and um, the guide needs to drive out of that sighting and then turn around, look at everybody in the eyes, hold a hand or two if people are upset because people sometimes get upset. Even if you, to you, it's like, oh, that was the most natural reaction ever. There was no danger to a guest. That's their first line ever, 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 ever in their life. They're going to be scared. They might not be scared, but they might be. So it's important to turn around and have a look at the person's reaction, not just drive away and drive 20 minutes to the lodge, hand your guests over to the lodge manager. The lodge manager then complains to you in the morning that the guests staying in because they were so terrified they nearly died last night. But to you as the guide, what happened was so normal and so safe. The guests didn't know that, didn't think that, and they thought they had nearly died. And um, it's a very important element of the guiding ethics, I think, for guests anyway. Definitely. And, you know, I'm very grateful that you mentioned that because one of actually the biggest lessons I ever learned in terms of guiding in the bush was exactly that lesson and oddly enough from you. And there's been many situations where I've been in the bush where I've had very hairy encounters with animals because unfortunately they are wild animals and sometimes they will do things that you cannot predict and they'll put you in situations that can be very, very taxing and very, very trying of your resolve. And without effectively managing your guests and also explaining to them that, you know, sometimes these things happen and explaining to them where you, why you were in control and what you were doing and giving them a little bit more insight, you can really affect them. And it's, it's again, like I said, one of the best lessons you ever taught me. But the other thing that's really important is as a, as a guide, you are custodians to the bush. You are trying to show the bush in the best light as possible and yes. when, you're, when you're facilitating, like you say, that almost that spiritual change where you're trying to get people to kind of jump out of their comfort zones and grow a little bit, it, it falls on the guide's shoulders to curate that experience in such a way that brings about, brings about a positive growth. And I think it's the first time we've had anyone who's actually spoken about the fact that there is a deeply ingrained spiritual link that creates that passion for the bush. It's something I don't think we've actually no, no, we've truly touched on is where that, where that passion comes from and why it becomes almost like this undying love for, for lack of a better word, Africa. And I think one of the questions I have to ask you is, in this situation, was there ever a, a moment when you were discovering this whole spiritual side of the bush that really drew you to it intensely or kind of solidified the fact that, you know, this is definitely the place for me. I, I remember you saying, you mentioned that, you know, on your meditation, you've, there was something that said, you know, you're not done with it. 
Is there any other situations in, in particular that kind of solidify to you that, you know, the bush is the place for you? Yeah, I mean, the bush is a beautiful place, a wonderful place. And the, the, the term, very important to add, the potential danger of the bush is always there. And um, very important as a guide is to be confident and to, to manage that safety. So, yeah, I mean, con- connection of the bush and how about the bush comes to everybody is different. Uh, everyone will experience it differently. Some people might experience it on the back of a vehicle. Um, I think there's no better way to experience it than being on foot. Um, even if it's just getting off the vehicle for five minutes, I was very fortunate to have during my training done trails guide, which basically if those of you out there who haven't done trails guide, don't know what it means. It basically means to learn how to walk in the bush, to guide people in the bush. And we were forced to walk as lead and backup rifles with experienced people behind you. So you got very confident, very, um, very uh, determined, very, um, what's the word, very knowledgeable people behind you. So you feel quite safe, but then you're also on edge because you're trying to prove yourself to them. So it's very hard for me to give one exact moment, but, you know, having an animal react to you on foot is never something that we aim for. It's not something that we as guides ethically try and do, but it's important as a guide to be in those situations to see how you will deal with it. And I was very fortunate to be with very experienced people who got me into situations that were potentially very dangerous, but yet, you know, we came out of them maybe with a few dirty pairs of pants, but we came out of them with a big smile and maybe a little bit less blood in the face than we started with. Um, it, the bush is, is, as you said earlier, unpredictable. Um, the, the ability to understand animal behavior, to be able to witness animals on foot in dangerous game areas is incredible, but to be able to do it in a way that doesn't cause any reaction from the animal. I've had some great mentors in the past that have, yes, it's exciting. And that there's a feeling that you get when an elephant charges or a lion charges you on foot that you can't quite explain, but the feeling of going in and watching animals, elephants, buffalo on foot, hiding away from them, sneaking around like a thief in the night with guests, sitting down in wonderful places and having these animals approach you and leave without you even being seen, smelt, observed, no change in reaction, and just observing the beauty of a breeding herd of elephants mud wallowing or drinking while you're just hiding there, just observing their behavior. That for me is, is where the spirituality comes. Um, I'm not a fan of let's go out and get animals to react. It does happen. It's important to know how to deal with it if it does ever happen, but to be able to sneak in and out and observe animals and elephants for me, it's got to be the number one. Um, Many, many, many times I've gotten students into positions where I just look at them I look at the faces. I look at the jaw. It's on the, on the floor. The eyes are wide open. And then, you know, there's no, there's nothing to be said. There's nothing to be said in that moment, but every single time that's happened and it's happened countless times we've exited that sighting, there's deep breaths, a deep sighing. We tell people about what happened just so that they're unsure, if they're unsure of the safety, were they in danger? We explain, did you see the elephant was doing this? This trunk was doing that. It didn't even know we were there. And then people start to unload what's going on inside of them. And their drama of the past comes forward. And they start to realize that just viewing these animals in their natural behavior, their natural environment, doing what those animals do naturally is so thought-provoking, so connecting and so grounding to our spirit that one of those sightings, I guarantee you, will change anyone's life. Could not agree more. I've got to say, it's just so nice to hear you talking like this, because in our last episode, we were chatting about sort of the guides that push the big five. And I really believe there's quite a spectrum of guides. You get people that basically are doing it for the cash and they are going to go and find their guests, the big five, and they are going to push for a reaction because a lot of tourists, first time safari and quotes, tourists come over and they want that big sighting. They want the video of the Ellie chasing the car or they want the, the crazy dramatic stuff to happen. And it really takes quite a brave guide, I would think, for someone who's doing this as their job to say, actually, no, we're going to just go and observe. We are Our whole aim of this is to not be seen, to trigger zero reaction. And I think that really takes a brave person to do it because you have a, 
you're you're sort of battling the the position between I need to make money out of this, but also I have such an amazing opportunity to educate people and to create conservationists to to change people in these few days that I've got them. Um, and I just think it's really it's just really nice to hear your your approach to it because you can get very sort of disenchanted with a lot of the people who just push sightings, try and get a reaction, speed through the park. And yeah, it's just really, really nice. Yeah, I mean, I think on that point, it comes down to to the guide. It comes down to the guide's ethics. And I mean, it comes down to chasing the tips. I've never in my life had a guest that's told me I want to to charge. I want an animal to charge me. I've had many people say I want to kill. That's one of the things many people want. They want to see a kill until they've seen one. Then they're like, gosh, I didn't want to see that actually. But it's the guide. This is the most important thing. And you guys remember this quite clearly from the training days was what are your expectations to the guests? And I used to say that from the airstrip or from the car park to the lodge, whatever it was. And they would say something to me. I want to see odd rock. I want to see a kill. I want to see this. And I'd play that down completely. I'd say, well, cool. I'm glad you've got such high expectations, but I'm going to teach you about tracks and dung and insects and I know you paid a lot of money and came out here to see the big five, but we'll see what we can see, you know. Whatever comes up, comes up. And if you just have an open mind and you're willing to learn, you're going to have a great time. And I've, I've never had any complaints. Guests have always come up. Honestly, never had someone say, I need to have an elephant charge. Had elephant charges. I've had lion charges. These things happen. But it's all about the comments of the guides when you are driving there's a speech that you give. And if you give that speech or the walking speech, if you give that confidently, uh, it's not just a repeated thing that you say, give it confidently with your ethics, ethics, ethics. People, we are not out here to influence these animals. We are here to experience wildlife in their natural habitats. That's what we do. You know, every now and again, we might come across dangerous animals. You will listen to what I say in the moment and we'll be safe. But the animal safety is very, very important. You know, they're only reacting to us because we are a threat to them. They're not reacting to us because they are dangerous animals. That's why we use the term potentially dangerous very, very strongly because they're only potentially dangerous when we interact with them. If we leave them alone, there, there's no issue. The elephant's not running around looking for them to smash, you know. They're just reacting to your presence. And, yes, you can get reactions. You can. It's very easy if you want to get a reaction. But I can tell you nine times out of ten, the guests will not appreciate the reaction because if you drive too close to elephants, quite often they actually just move away from you. If you drive too close to a lion, they just move away. There's this like negative reaction. The animal looks quite shy and skittish and moves away. That's, that's terrible to see. You know, If you ever do that to an animal, you're influencing the behavior. If it gets you a bigger, better tip, well, well done to you. You know, we, we want to view animals in their natural habitat. Otherwise, watch crazy shows on YouTube and you'll see stupidity in an elephant is big enough to kill a car, to smash a car. And if you want them to do that, you want to put people's lives at risk, uh, that's, that's someone else's problem. But the big institutions, the really good safari lodges out there, they don't adhere to that. I mean, there's codes of that we adhere to as guides. And unfortunately, there's going to be cowboys in every industry. But it's all about the little things. It's all about observing natural behaviors and seeing the animal behave naturally. And when it does happen, wow, it's incredible. But I didn't intend for that to happen. And I'm not going out to get it. Because if I have to hurt an animal because I've been an idiot, I will have to live with that on my conscience. I will have to deal with that. And the worst thing ever, ever, ever is if you create a situation where the animal reacts negatively and then a guest gets injured because you were being a fool, uh, you, yeah, things are going to be very, very bad for you as the, as the guide, for sure. Yeah, and I think I think you touched on a very valid point there. Um, you know, the, these these are lives. At the end of the day, they, it's very difficult for some people to see that an elephant is a life the same as a human. A life is a life, no matter which way you view it. And you'd never want to, as a guide, ever be in a position where you have to affect a life ever, whether it be your guest, as you say, or whether it be the animal. And usually, the moments that are the most beautiful are the ones where it's natural. Where the animal is completely relaxed with your presence, um, whether the animal knows you there or not is irrelevant. So long as that animal is behaving naturally and is completely relaxed, that's where the most fascinating things happen. 
And it's usually those small little nuanced moments that happen. It's not the grand animal coming up to you with an elephant with its ears wide open, standing you down. It's usually watching a mom interact with a young calf or sometimes even the smaller things where it's just watching an impala running around doing something interesting, but taking the second to just stop, slow down, be present and actually enjoy that moment. And that's when the most fascinating things happen. And you were mentioning the smaller things. And one of the things I'm quite curious to know about is if it's not the big five or it's not one of the big and hairies or one of your favorite animals, what are the smaller things that really draw you in? Is it animals per se or is it botany? Is it tracking? What exactly do you find that you are drawn to when it's not looking for the, the mammals? That's a very good one. I mean, the big five, I'm sure you've dealt with it before where it comes from, so we won't delve too much, but big five is that marketing tool. It, it's, it's easy to advertise. Here we go. Here's a picture of five big animals, and let's get you out here. Once we get you out here, we can then teach you about poo, and we can teach you about insects and um, rainfall and trees, flowers, tracks, soil, all these things that, that don't sell very well. You know? Hey, come to Africa, and I'll show you some rocks. <laughs> doesn't look good on a brochure does it doesn't look good on a brochure and it's not very easy to document with a photograph either and um, the reason the big fire occur here is because of the ecology that they have with regards to their environment and the ecology of the area you know where we are now in the savannah we've got a very specific rainfall the areas are changed by the type of soil which then influences the trees and plants which then influences the animals that you find there because of their habitat so if you can understand the broad scope of it, obviously those aren't the little things, but that's the broad overlying ecology of the area, the temperature, the rainfall, the climate, the trees, the habitat. Now we can find animals. Where are we going to find this white rhino? Well, if you understand the habitat, we can go track one. And then there's a plan. My plan today is I'm going to find your white rhino or we're going to find signs of a white rhino and then we're going to go trail and trail and trail that animal going through the ecology of that animal in the system focusing on dung, on tracks where it's been mud wallowing, shows some feeding signs where it's been scratching itself, find some mud with a tick on it. That's incredible. And then when you eventually find that rhino, you've essentially played out a story. You've played out a book, a novel that's been written by the world's best novelist out there with a start, a middle, and a finish. You know, Not a, hey, there's a leopard. Okay, we're going to go find the lion. Now, there's the lion, everybody. Who cares? Well done. You want to get a photograph. It's a darn experience. You know, you, everyone's taking photos now. I mean, everyone's got photos of every animal you want to see. I know everybody wants really cool photos, but I think what is more spiritual and more connecting is the memories designed behind those photos. Like, yes, I got this really bad photo of this white rhino on foot, but the experience that I had finding that white rhino, that person will never forget. You know, the tick that they pulled out of the mud that they scraped off of that, that, uh, that log that they pulled you know, that smooth log. You guys have felt one of those before. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't understand unless you felt one of those logs that a rhino has rubbed for 25 years. You know, the smoothness of it. That are, that's the little things. That's the focusing on the little things. The, the aging of the track because of the, the, the ants that walked across it or the antlion larvae drag mark or uh, nocturnal birds that moved here or the temperature of that dung. Look how cold it is. It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. Those little nuances... You don't even have to find those animals, but that whole ability to follow and to interpret and to, to show people the sort of CSI of the bush, that whole, everyone's all about these, uh, these reality shows these days. And people can go on these experiences where they could actually experience the reality. You know, the reality of a game drive isn't just finding the animals. Here's a, here's a leopard, here's a lion. They are people that are working hard to find them. And as a guide, if you've got guests that want to see the big five, great. Okay, we're going to try to get to the big five, but not in one day. How long are you here for? Four nights. Cool. Well, we'll focus on one a day. One a day. Done. You know, and if we're lucky to get more, cool. I can't guarantee you I'm going to get it all. But during that period, while you're waiting for everybody to help you, while you're tracking, you're finding small things. You're finding plants. You're finding uh, feeding signs of plants. So where the kudu's been eating, and then you pick up on the tracks of the lions that are following those could do. And the whole story that plays out behind not just the lion, but why the lion is in that environment, what it's feeding on, what its defense is, what its strategy of hunting is, is, is far more important to me than just seeing the animal, you know. 
we could quite easily just go one, two, three, four, five and go home. You know, the experience of it all is far, far greater. You know, I've taken guests on walks where for six hours we've tracked her off. We found them, you know, and the people at the end were like, that was the highlight of the experience, you know, tracking two giraffes. They weren't out to kill us. They were dangerous animals. But the experience of being through, the interpretation of what we did to find them and how they fed, where they laid down, the urine, the heart, the animal, when you finally see it, there's a whole story that plays out there. And a good guide is able to do that. A good guide is able to leave the radio and is able to interpret and and the birds and the little things that are far more abundant and far more obvious actually a lot of the time than the big five definitely definitely i think that's that's actually the whole point of thatch and earth that was why we sort of came up with the idea in the first place is that we just had enough of people saying well i just want to see a lion but you're missing the whole point of it that this is an opportunity to learn about conservation to learn why that lion is so important in that environment and why it's so crucial that we actually conserve carnivores, for example, or, you know, just like holistically learning about how everything is linked and how you as a human are also linked in that system and also have an effect on that system. And that's really what we're hoping people get out of this big project that we're developing is just go with a different mindset. Don't go with that tick list. Go and just be open. Don't, don't say, right, I need to see, I've had guests who said, we need to see lions. I found them lioness with very young cubs. They say to me that night, no, but we've still not seen a lion with a big mane. So that wasn't good enough. And I'm like, you're missing the whole point of this, this incredible opportunity that you've got to be in the bush and that you can actually just learn about it and see how everything is linked, which again, you miss by living in a city. It's quite difficult to observe that. Like if you know what to look for, you can find it, but it's, it's not as clear as it is in the bush. And yeah, it's just an amazing opportunity. So people need to embrace it a bit more. hundred percent. And you know, one of the, the interesting things, and I think one of the biggest lessons you ever taught us was that everything is linked and that ecology is it, like you say, it, it, although it's, small things that happen it's this macro picture that affects everything and there's always a baseline it has to start somewhere and again one of the most interesting parts of the bush for me was oddly enough learning about soil soil types were incredibly important to understand the entire breakdown of where all the animals move why they're moving there and where the predators go to follow them because you know the impala goes to a particular kind of grass, therefore certain kind of cats will follow those kinds of impala. And depending on which way the, the soil is broken down will depend on their movements. And you can start building up that story to get to the line that the guests want to see at the end of the day. And I remember when we were discussing it, um, soil was a big part of your your actual learning when it came to your formal education. And I was quite curious to know if you had any insights on that. I remember you talking about your Earthworm Project too. So maybe you could shed a bit more light on that and maybe we could learn a bit more about yeah. it. Well, when I first started studying, um, we did geology and soil and it was, it was horrible. Uh, we, we spent two weeks in, in trenches in the ground looking at profiles, the sun baking down on our head. And I thought to myself, what on earth am I doing here? This is not for me. Deep in the ground, looking at the earth, looking at the soil. And slowly over time, as I continued my studies and I eventually came back after a bit of travel to continue them. And I started working in the bush. I realized how important the soil was and knowing the soil and knowing how intricate the soil is. And you don't have to know every single little bit about it, but an overall broadness will help you so much in the guiding field of things. And that details the habitats that you spoke about. But um, slowly but surely over time, I realized the importance of soil and the ecology of the area and how you can find whatever you want to find by understanding how the vegetation interacts, you know, everything that's going on underneath the ground. But that led me into to earthworms, which I never thought would, um, would become a very big part of my life. I got some funding opportunities uh, from the university. They said, we're going to be funding to start an earthworm farm. And I actually laughed. I thought, you've got to be kidding. How am I going to get money to start an earthworm farm? And um, I started a small business about a year later, and I got three years of funding from the university to, to play with worms. So that was, that was interesting. So um, that ended up becoming quite a passion for me and getting my hands dirty 
understanding the ecology of the soil, understanding how important the network is of the microbiology, of the recycling of nutrients. And it basically goes right back to those fundamentals of what we learn in guiding, what we learn in ecology and conservation is nutrient recycling. And from a human point of view, we need to be accountable for what we use. We need to be accountable for where it goes. And we need to be accountable for what we eat. How many people out there can talk about they know where their food comes from. They know what was used to grow their food. They know the composition of the nutrients that goes in. Not many people are able to. You know? So for me, it's about giving back to the soil. It's about taking human waste and putting it back into the soil. And then um, earthworm composting is now something I'm getting into, uh, still with sort of virtual guiding on the side. And um, watch this space because it is where the world needs to be going at the moment, especially after all of the upheavals of the last six months. We can't just be importing food from all over the world. We need to be thinking locally. We need to be thinking about waste management. We need to be thinking about soil ecology. And we need to be thinking about eating healthy and uh, obviously organic is the way. And uh, earthworms is uh, the final solution. It works and it ticks so many boxes. I completely agree. I think it's something we've tried to touch on quite a bit in this so far. And I think people are very unaware of ecosystem services as are known sort of in ecology conservation worlds and we've spoken about it with vultures before um and just the crucial so crucial role that all these species play that we have no idea about and I, I read a paper a couple of years ago and i think it was something ridiculous like 120 trillion dollars that we would need to replace all the ecosystem services that we get from wildlife including worms um, and I just think that's such a crucial point and people need to actually reconnect with that. And especially after all the stuff we've gone through this year, I really hope that people learn that they are part of something bigger and they need to protect the, the things that are providing them with services, the bees, the worms, the, the small things that, that are the, the big elephant or the lion, which also provide a service, but the small things that keep everything sort of ticking over that means that we're not sort of wandering around knee-deep in carcasses and things like that, that we're actually, the, the system is functioning. And it's such a crucial point. 100%. And again, it's the whole, the whole thing of if you can't see it, why should I conserve it? Mm. And those are actually the most important things. It's the same idea as flies. I mean, for most people, flies are a pest. And yes, they can be very annoying. But without flies, you lose a really important decomposer you lose that and then the whole chain starts to go disarray and then you've got massive issues. So again, earthworms play a vital role in that. And it's it's very encouraging to hear someone be an advocate for something that's not exactly, you know, at the forefront of people's minds. Like you said, even when you heard about it, you had a little laugh at it. But the more you think about it, the more it actually makes sense. You know, if we start focusing on those smaller things, we can make a greater impact further on down the line. It boils back down to ecology. It boils back down to the fundamentals of what's in the ground, comes out of the ground, goes through the processes of growth, ingestion, digestion, and then once again back to the discussion of and back into the ground. It's a cycle. There's no one-way stream here. It's all back, all back, all back. And doing it locally, keeping my mindset local these days I think is, is definitely a way forward. And um, giving back to the earth where we can through conservation initiatives, uh, through being aware of where our food comes from, our waste management. These are things that many of the conservation organizations are doing, but I think there needs to be more sort of emphasis on it from international travel, people coming here. Your, the money that goes into these conservation organizations isn't just for your food and accommodation. It's also for the communities that are, are without, outside of these reserves that are are using firewood people. Are, it's all those things. There's so many things to discuss on that, that conservation as a whole is an enormous topic that I've known about you will have um, scheduled for another time. <laughs> and I mean, you know, like, like you were saying, it's, it becomes the responsibility of the, the lodges as well as, to, as the tourists who come in to, you know, have a bit more understanding about this sort of thing. And obviously education in terms of the tourist side of things is very important. And my, my question to you then would be, what advice would you give to a tourist coming in from an outside country or just from an environment that they don't quite understand the bush? What advice would you give them 
about conservation and why would you give it to them? What, 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 what could we do to transform or change their mindset to be a bit more conscious and take something back home with them? Yeah, I think they should they do research for uh, lodges and, and conservation initiatives that are actually giving back. They're not just um, they're not just providing you with food and accommodation and a game drive. There's actually community upliftment. There's actually food projects. There's actually waste management projects. There's there's projects on the ground that are benefiting the people. I mean, you can't expect um, to be able to see all of these things directly, but many many companies are doing projects, and I think it's important that that people are aware of who's doing what rather than just going to a place because it's affordable, is that money going somewhere? And if you are paying a little bit extra, what's it for, you know? I think these days lodges are going to be way more transparent in that regard and way more green because we are living in the wilderness. We need to conserve the wilderness. Things that come in need to be dealt with and they need to go out again or processed on site. We can't just go somewhere where they're just dumping everything in the river, you know, that's, Sustainable. So do your research. The cheapest isn't always the best. Um, there's a reason sometimes some of them cost what they do. Obviously, sometimes the costs are maybe a little bit out there. But um, local is lacquer, as we in South Africa like to say. But just do your research, you know, like look at the reviews. Uh, was the guide ethical? You know, people are, social media is so rife these days. Websites like yours that are coming up are so important because you're going to be able to be getting direct reviews from people, you know, chats about these things. People are going to be able to comment on things and, and hopefully certain industries or certain areas might get named and shamed a bit and that will force them to conform, you know. We're not just out to rev animals and get experience and to give people the cheapest experience with the less giving back. You know, social media is out there and um, people must just, just read up a bit, you know. Where do you want to go and why? Definitely, definitely. I think that's, that's touch and earth in a nutshell. Think about why you want to do it and think about where the best place that you can actually have an experience that contributes in the long term is what yeah. you should really be looking for. Don't just get annoyed that you've not got blueberries on your breakfast and they're completely out of exactly. season and they're being flown in from somewhere. Like that's that's such a crucial point. No, 100%. And it's, it's really encouraging to hear that you say that because, you know, we've spoken to a few people across the board in different fields in the conservation industry and they all have a similar answer and it's, do your do your research and be a bit more educated before you come through to the bush because you know if you're sending your money to a lodge that is not necessarily ethical firstly you you are enforcing that behavior or affirming that that behavior is okay and that they can earn money from it and secondly that money could have gone to somebody else who could have done a much better job at conserving the natural environment and those are the people we need to be focusing on at the moment you know the lodge that is supporting the local the local communities and the lodge that is looking at the waste management and not tapping directly into the aquifers and draining them so for decades to come we have a massive water crisis an environment that never actually was going to have that issue if it had just stayed at equilibrium so it's really encouraging to hear it because it's enforcing that mantra to people that it's really important to be ethical and to also understand that you have an impact and where your money goes, sometimes maybe a bit more expensive in your decision making, but where your money goes at the end of the day is really important. And I think one of the final questions for me, and we ask it to every person that we have here, is if you could change one thing in the conservation industry that would get to a better place and create a bit more of a transformative experience in the conservation industry, what would it be and why? Wow, you didn't prepare me for this one, eh? <laughs> what should it be and why? Well, you know, I think it's very it's a very broad question. I mean, when we're talking conservation, it's quite a broad subject. But I think um, passive conservation is very important. You know, walking. People need to do more walking. People need to do more birding. They need to do more sort of backpacking safaris rather than lodges, you know, where you carry your water you carry your waste, you know, birding in the environments where you don't have to four-wheel drive, where the access is much more difficult and uh, there's permitted, you know. So I think we just need more control on that. It's not about getting as many tourists in as possible, about doing quality experiences whereby the environment is left with no footprint, with only footprints and only memories taken, pictures taken. So, you know, I think conservation as a whole, there are so many options. There are so many lodges and so many things these days. And I think those people who are giving back more need to be hard 
Um, and I think you know, people need to walk more, Frosty. They need to, they need to walk, eh? And passive <laughs> conservation. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know what, if that's I, answered your question. No, that that, that that does because I think some of the most transformative experiences that Phoebe and I have ever had in the bush have come from walking. It's that it's it's touching back on what we started on, which is it forces you to be present and ultimately in the moments of pure awareness when you're completely present, that's when your transform transformation happens. That's when you shed previous experiences and things that you're holding on to and start growing as an individual as well as becoming more open to an experience that you may not necessarily have thought was going to be the experience for you i mean to to give you an example i I came to the bush with an understanding and a lot of experience in the bush but never a knowledgeable side of it and i came to do my training with you and that's when everything started changing and it was because i was in a moment that i was you know, completely present and I kind of shared my past experiences and learned that this is actually a really incredible place to be. And I started growing into that area and I fell in love with trees and soil types and grasses and birding and all the things that I absolutely had no passion for before I came to do my actual formal studying because I never really was open to the experience. And I think walking is exactly that. That's where it starts. Getting your feet on the ground becoming in touch with nature and being a little bit more open and present in that situation, that's when you start noticing that you'll have a greater desire to change. So definitely answer the question 100% perfectly. Beautiful answer. Beautiful. Now I'm very aware that we don't want to take up too much of your time, Steve. I know your worms need your attention. So yes, we'll they do. slowly they're very, wrap they're things very, up. They're very needy fellows. Very needy worms. <laughs> <laughs> So if anyone wants to get in touch with you or find out more about the worms or anything, where is the best place, place for people to find you aside from on Safari I'm Life on, every now and then? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Falkenbridge Steve. Um, also, my email address is sfalkenbridge at gmail.com. Feel free to follow me. Check it out. I'm mainly doing wildlife photos these days, but uh, you'll see there'll be some earthworm pictures coming up soon. But um, they, they don't, they don't uh, get that many likes at the moment. So, <laughs> so. I've been it's loving your photos. Five story. <laughs> I love the, I love the little quotes that you put on your photos too. Yeah. It's really been, um, Inspir- it's been nice to read. Inspirational, inspirational <laughs> times. Stuff, you know? Steve. A time people need inspiration. We need to stand up and uh, motivate each other. You know, absolutely, hundred percent, absolutely beautiful place to mm. end. Thank you so much, Steve. That was wonderful. Yeah, it really was special to chat to him and to learn a little bit more from him. I mean, every time we chat to him, he's just like a fountain of knowledge. It's always fascinating. We always end up having really deep and informed and educated chats. It's always great. Yeah, and I hope I hope you get to chat to him again sometime in the future on this podcast. I really do. Definitely. Maybe we can pick his brain a bit more on those Definitely. earthworms and see Find how, how the worms out. are getting Yeah, it'd be cool. <laughs> but um, that about concludes us for today's podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, please feel free to check our website out. It's www.thatchandearth.com. And on social media, we are at thatched underscore earth. We'll put all the details and Steve's information in the show notes. So just scroll down and you can find us there. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast. We've got some awesome episodes coming up and give us a nice little review and some thumbs up. And we will see you next week. Bye. Peace.